It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast where Mary Kay Cabot answers questions from our football insider subscribers. Today we cover all things Baker Mayfield predictions, we talk the wide receiver room, we look at the Sheldon Richardson situation. Does Andrew Barry deserve credit for how he handled that situation or should we be nervous about how he handled that situation? It's all coming up on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Now, if you want to be a football insider subscriber, all you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash browns, click the blue banner at the top of the page to get information and get all signed up. All right, here we go. Our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Mary Kay, let's get right to it. Ronnie Butcher in Newton Falls, Ohio, has some Baker Mayfield questions. He mentions that he loves Baker Mayfield. You know, pro football folks, we've talked about this. They they love Baker Mayfield. He wants some predictions for Baker. So let's go down this road a little bit. He wants to know yards and touchdowns. What kind of season do we expect from Baker Mayfield? And then more importantly, do we expect him to lead the Browns to a division title and win multiple playoff games? Let's start with the yards and the touchdowns, Mary Kay. Where do you think Baker ends up this season in, in those two areas? Well, I, I haven't really uh, thought about it enough to put a very specific number on it yet, but in terms of yards, you don't have it in front of you, Dan, how many he had last year. I'm of pulling each it year. up right now as we speak. So last okay. year he had 3,563 yards, which was actually his lowest career total so far. He had okay. 3,720, 18 and 3,820, 19. Because there were those three weather games last year where he didn't really have an opportunity to add to those totals very much. And because it took him a while to kind of get it together, I'm going to say that he'll go over 4,000 yards this year. I think he's 100% capable of doing that in this offense. I think it has a chance to be very explosive. And as I wrote in one of my print haze this week, there, there are so many offensive weapons on this team. I don't even know how they're going to be able to get the ball to all of these players and keep everybody happy and keep every everybody fed. They really should be able to score a ton of points on most defenses this season. They should be able to stay on the field enough for him to get at least 4,000 yards. So in that category, I'm eclipsing 4,000 for him this season. It's hard to argue against that, especially when you look at the, that last half of the year and you get past those weather games, you kind of start in that Jacksonville game and, and look at what he could have done. 
yeah, this has to be the year he goes over 4,000, I think. And I, I think they're going to throw the ball more. You've talked about it. You think we're going to see more 11 personnel, more, you know, maybe some four receiver sets, things like that. I don't think we're going to see this run heavy attack that a lot of fans assume the Browns are going to have because we didn't see it at the end of last year. Again, when Baker was playing well last year, this team was not this run first, establish the run football team anymore. They threw the ball a lot. And, and I think that's going to continue in Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt's offense. What about touchdowns? Because he has thrown 27, of course, that set the rookie record in 2018. 2019, he threw 22, but we don't talk about that year. 26 mm. last year. Th- that 30 number has been a little elusive for Baker Mayfield so far in his career. Although in his rookie, he probably would have hit 30 had he started week one. Yeah, I, I think that that he will go over 30 this year for all the reasons we just mentioned about the yardage. I, I really think that they're not going to have those fluky weather games all back to back to back like they did last year. I think that that he's going to hit the ground running right from the start. And I think they know how to use their personnel better now. And I think you're going to get more touchdown catches out of some of the guys that should have had more last year, like the Austin Hoopers. If Odell Beckham Jr. is is healthy, I think you're going to see more touchdowns from him this year. So, yeah, I think he should almost fairly easily get up into the, the 30s. 34, 35 is certainly attainable. So the other the other stat here, and, and Ronnie kind of threw this one at us too, was completion percentage, which has been kind of low for Baker early in his career. He was 63.8 in 2018, 59.4 in 2019, and 62.8 last year. It was kind of the one the one thing you could look at and say that's got to come up, you know, over the course of 16 games. Doesn't have to be at 70% where a lot of these quarterbacks live, but I, you know, he, he's got to be at about 65% at least in that completion percentage department to, to kind of look at this and say, okay, that was good. Yeah. And that's usually what quarterbacks in this offense end up doing. And again, because last year they didn't have an off season to kind of put it out there on the grass. They didn't have any preseason games. And the first time Kevin Stefanski saw this football team play live was in Baltimore against the great Ravens defense. I think that that completion percentage is going to go up this year. Baker has a much better handle and grasp on the offense now. The coaches have a much better idea of how to use all the personnel. And I think you will see that that percentage go up significantly. Again, like you said, it might not climb all the way up to 70, but I could see it getting into the mid 60s. And that's where you're going to want it to be. It's it's really crazy to me. Completion percentages now in, in football. There were three guys last year over 70 percent. Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees and Deshaun Watson. Josh Allen was at 69.2. 65% is Matt Ryan was at 65% yet last year. And that was 23rd in the, in the NFL. Now there's good quarterbacks. You know, Tom Brady was 65, seven, Joe Burrow was 65, three, Patrick Mahomes was 66, three. So, you know, Justin Herbert, who we've talked about a lot, 66.6. So there's a lot of guys who, you know, are good quarterbacks who live in that 65 to 66 range, but it's just, it's crazy to me how high these percentages have gotten. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that once Baker kind of gets a little bit more chemistry down with a couple of his guys, then I, I think that will really help his percentage. There were players last year, one that we've already mentioned, like in Austin Hooper, they just really didn't have their connection yet. Even um, Odell Beckham Jr. in the early going, those two didn't really have their mojo down. Donovan Peoples-Jones was very new to the situation. 
So I really do think that that he will be able to increase that this year just by virtue of guys being healthy and him knowing guys better. Okay, so the other question here that, that Ronnie wanted to know is, is this the year? And listen, we're saying this on June 21st for a podcast going up on June 22nd. So no one's allowed to hold us to any predictions. But does Baker lead the Browns to that elusive division title and win multiple playoff games? I mean, I've been kind of flirting all offseason with just picking the Browns to win the North. So I guess here on June 21st, I'll say, sure, why not? And then winning two playoff games. I mean, we've said they can get to the AFC championship game. So, yeah, I I think both of those are are very possible and and maybe even should be expected. The Baltimore Ravens will be their biggest competition, I think, this year. But I also don't think that you can count out the Pittsburgh Steelers because they will have a healthier defense this year, presumably, and they will have they should have a better running game. And who knows? I mean, maybe Ben Roethlisberger, one more year removed from his elbow surgery, maybe he'll be better. It's going to, for them, it's going to come down to their offensive line. Can they protect him and can they run block? And if they can and they support him with a running game and that defense plays as well as it did at times last year, then, then they can also still be right in the thick of things. I think too many people are, are writing them off way too quickly. But I still think it will probably come down to the Ravens and the Browns And it'll just be interesting to see because Baker had room to improve. He only had like a half of a really good season last year. So he really has an opportunity to go out there and put a full good season together. So therefore, you know, you can see they were not at their ceiling yet. You know, the Ravens, you know, they, they may have reached it. I mean, we may know what Lamar is now. Can Lamar get better? That's the whole key. Can he become better as a passer? And if they figure out a way to enhance and increase his passing game, then they will have a chance to, to really make a run for that AFC North title again. That's the big question mark with him. You know, are people kind of figuring him out as that has the whole Lamar Jackson thing? Have some people caught on? Do they know how to defend him or have they figured it out? I've said this a million times. I would have another quarterback on that roster that can come in and occasionally give you a change up at quarterback and do some of the things in the passing game that Lamar occasionally struggles with, whatever it is, I would have another guy that can do that. And I would not hesitate to use a little bit of a platoon system. Now, 92% of the time I would have Lamar in there. 8% of the time I would throw somebody else at, at these teams and, and let this guy come in and see, see what he could do. It sounds kind of crazy, but I think teams are too afraid to do that. They're too afraid to rock the boat with the quarterbacks and try a little change up. So it just depends on, on how Lamar is, is going to be performing this year. But I do think that it's all laid out. It's all laid out right there for the Browns for the taking, because now they've got a defense that matches up with that offense. They have a defense that can get off the field and they have a defense that can take the ball away. And if you can do that, then you're, you're going to be your quarterback's best friend. And I think these two systems, the, the offense, the units are going to be working in synergy this year. And I think it's going to result in a lot of victories. I will, I will say this to the Browns fans who have already written off Lamar Jackson and his throwing ability. Just close your eyes and go back to that Monday night game. And remember Lamar coming out of the tunnel with cramps or whatever it was 
coming out of the tunnel and throwing an absolute perfect pass to Hollywood Brown. Now he was open and some Browns defenders ran into each other, but he threw an absolutely perfect pass to Hollywood Brown to beat the Browns at first energy stadium. So right off Lamar Jackson at, at your own risk as well in that. All right, let's talk some wide receivers here. Rhonda from Worcester. Hey, Mary Kay. If you had to choose between Richard Higgins and Donovan Peoples Jones, who would get the nod? You know, that is a great question. I think that is a fabulous question because you are looking at uh, a player who's got that great chemistry with Baker Mayfield in Rashard Higgins. And you're, you have a player who uh, is where he's supposed to be. He's a precise route runner. Baker Mayfield loves that. And, and those two just have a connection. And I think that Rashard is capable of scoring the football more than he does or has traditionally. But I see something in Donovan Peoples-Jones. There's just something about him. There's just something about him. Uh, He's come up the learning curve very quickly. He's polished. He's a deep threat. I think that counts for a lot. And I think that Chad O'Shea, uh, the passing game coordinator and receivers coach, has done a phenomenal job with him. I think they've taken this diamond in the rough sixth-round pick and turned him into a bona fide NFL receiver. And I, for one, want to see more of him. So because he is more of your future, I would probably choose Donovan Peoples-Jones. I think I'm with you because I I was just really fascinated by what we saw from him last year. And Mm -hmm. I've said it, I say it all the time on here. He, his numbers weren't amazing last year, but you just remember plays he made. And I I think him coming off the bench in that Dallas game, when Cadero got hurt after inactives came in, so they couldn't really make any moves. They couldn't activate Higgins for that game. That showed me something. He comes in and he's blocking and he's he's opening up, he's sealing off the outside on run plays. And I, I don't know if he had a catch in that game. I can't remember. He didn't do much in the receiving game, but he was still ready to go and ready to contribute. And that, you know, that that tells me something about him, not just as what he can do on the field, but the work he puts in off the field as well. I, I think long term the answer here is Donovan Peoples Jones. I will say this: if you had to win one game. Like if, if you said, let's say that opener in Kansas city, if Roger Goodell was like, you know what, let's just make this the game for home field advantage in the AFC. If you had to win one game, I would maybe go with Higgins just because I, I know exactly what he is and I know exactly what he does for Baker Mayfield in this offense. But if we're talking long-term, I'm going Donovan people's Jones because of his size, his speed, his big playability and all of that stuff. And that's nothing against Rashard. Richard's been fantastic for this team, but Donovan Peoples-Jones, I think, offers more upside. Yeah, and and that's a very interesting premise or question. If you had to win one game, who would you choose? So that's kind of cool that you put it that way. I actually still think I'm going Donovan Peoples-Jones there. Okay. Because you did have to win one game, and it was the Cincinnati game. And who would have thought uh, that that young player in that moment – would be able to step up and make that play and keep his feet in bounds and catch that game-winning pass with 11 seconds remaining on the clock, that 24-yard touchdown catch. That was a great play. And then he caught another 75-yarder. So he gives you that home run hitting ability, and I like that idea about him. And I think he's poised enough to win a game for you, to win more games for you. So I still think I'm going to go with Donovan Peoples-Jones. Well, I like that you bring that game up because I think that sort of wraps this question up into a really nice bow because Donovan Peoples-Jones made that huge catch. And then if I'm not mistaken, and I hope I don't have the drives mixed up, Rashard Higgins had a 
big catch on that drive. So I'm looking up in the game book right now. Okay. So this final drive, I mean, this is perfect actually. Yeah. Final drive starts first and 10 from their own 25. Baker hits Donovan Peoples Jones for 13 yards. Then he hits Richard Higgins for eight and then yeah. Richard Higgins for 30 mm-hmm. before he hits Donovan Peoples Jones for the 24 yard touchdown. So those two worked like perfectly together in that receiving game. And I think for the person asking this question, it just sums up exactly what the Browns have here. And that's a really versatile receiving core that can do a lot of different things. And the good news is Kevin Stefanski doesn't have to make that choice. He can kind of just look at matchups and look at what's out there and he can throw both guys out there if he wants or one guy over the other. And they both kind of offer very different skill sets. Yeah. And it's a good receiving core. It's a really, really good receiving core, especially because Odell Beckham Jr. looks so amazing already, only seven months out of ACL surgery. And the other thing uh, to to think about with Donovan Peoples-Jones, we watched the, the rookie version of him. They expect, they always expect rookies to make about a 25% jump is the way that John Dorsey always used to put it. Uh, so if he makes that kind of a leap, which I have every reason to believe that he will, He's going to be that much better this year. I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I agree. This is a, this is a Donovan Peoples Jones podcast here. <laughs> yep. Okay. Let's talk about some defensive players. Terry in Houston, Texas. Hey, Mary Kay with many of the new defensive additions being on one year rentals. And actually that number is a lot less than it was last year. Who do you think the front office would be most likely to resign in 2022, given all the new money that will be handed out? in extensions. So as I'm thinking through this defense, the guys on one-year rentals, you got Anthony Walker's on a one-year deal. Malcolm Smith's on a one-year deal. Who am I missing on the defensive line? Billings, right. Is still on a one-year deal. Billings. Yep. Malik Jackson mm-hmm. one year. So you've got some guys that are on one-year deals. When you kind of look through some of those guys, I'm sure I've, I've left somebody out. Did you say Jadavian too? I did not say Jadavian. That's like the biggest one. And I left him tack too. Jadavian and tack both on one-year deals. And Ronnie Harrison is heading into the final year Ronnie of his contract. Ronnie's headed agency. So you've got some really big name guys that may or may not be here next year. And it's going to be, you know, similar to this year in terms of they've got to make decisions on, on a number of, of these guys. And the good part about it is that it, it forces them to prove it. I mean, these guys are all on prove it deals. If you want to come back here or you want to go somewhere else and hit the jackpot again, you have to play really well this year. I think it would be really exciting for this football team if Jadavian Clowney can find a late career home here in the same way that Sheldon Richardson found a late career home in Cleveland. Now, he only lasted two years. They wanted him to come back. And I, for one, think that it really would have been great if he would have been able to come back here. I would say that if Jadavian Clowney can resurrect his career enough uh, to get another look here, I I think that that would be really good for this football team. Malik Jackson, he's starting to get up there, but I don't know. He still looks pretty active and energetic to me. So I think he's got an opportunity to maybe stick around. Tack, I think all of these guys have the potential uh, to try to come come on back here at the right price and and continue to do what they're doing. Now, Anthony Walker, I mean, I think they're going to like him a lot. I think he's going to play well. I think he's going to be a leader. He might wear the green dot. 
So I don't know. I, I think there are, are a lot of guys on this team right now on one-year deals that you would hope that they play well enough that they're coming back. I think it's interesting. Anthony Walker is an interesting one. I mean, it might depend on like Jacob Phillips, if they think he could develop into a, a Mike linebacker, if they wanted to go long-term with Walker, uh, you know, Jadavian is 28. Walker's actually Walker is 25. He'll be yeah. 26 in August. So he's got some years left. There, there's a lot of ways this could go. I, I don't know which of these guys might come back. Anthony Walker would surprise me a little just based on how they've approached that position, but Mm-hmm. He's a guy they really like, and he's good in that locker room. He might he might be worth keeping around. Yes, absolutely. And then again, when you look at a Ronnie Harrison, there's a good chance that he could start the season as a starting safety opposite John Johnson because Grant might still be coming back from that injury. And I think the, the hopes are very, very high for Ronnie Harrison. He had a very good spring. He looked really good in minicamp. Uh, he got singled out for praise by Joe Woods. And these guys don't dole out praise very easily. So I thought that was very interesting. As we talked about before, he didn't show up until September of last year when he was acquired in the trade with the Jaguars. So now he's got that under his his belt, that whole offseason under his belt. Uh, He's got that shoulder injury behind him. And I think he can go out there and make some noise at safety this year. So we got two Sheldon Richardson questions, and they're actually opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, Ruth from Billings, Montana asks, Hey, Mary Kay, does Sheldon Richardson not returning to the Browns concern you at all? Everyone's been pleased with Andrew Barry in the front office. So this isn't going to be a Sashi Brown, Mitchell Schwartz type of debacle, but does the fact that Sheldon maybe didn't seem too happy with uh, the situation and didn't want to come back concern you now, the other side of this though, and I want to read this other question as well from the two one five area code. Hey, Mary Kay, why aren't people applauding Andrew Barry for what happened with Sheldon Richardson, considering essentially the point they're making is they went a different direction at defensive tackle and were able to save money long term. So kind of two different questions, right? Does Andrew Barry deserve credit for what happened or should we be concerned about what happened? I think when you look at what happened with Sheldon Richardson, it's sort of the new England Patriots way of doing things. You have a player that you're willing to keep at a certain price and you have a limit and that's it. And when, when it goes over that limit, then you're basically done. And, and you have to make those hard business decisions. The, the Patriots had to do something similar with Jamie Collins. They liked the player. They didn't like the price tag. They parted ways with him, traded him to the Browns. Uh, and then later he came back at, at a re- reduced price. With Sheldon, this turned out to be the principle of the thing, the reason why he went to the Vikings. As I wrote over the weekend, the Browns offered him more money to come back here. For him, it didn't come down to money. It came down to the fact that the Browns wanted to cut his pay from the 13 or whatever million dollar cap number that he had all the way down to, and I'm not sure what the offer was, but it was a significant pay cut enough that he couldn't stomach it. Okay. For him, it felt better to go back to Minnesota uh, because the number that the Browns were willing to give him didn't feel right to him. It didn't feel like what he felt uh, they should have given him for the service he provided them for the past two years and what he was originally owed for this season. So that's what happened with that. I don't fault the Browns for doing what they did because once again, if you're going to be able to manage a cap and manage a roster, 
you have you can't make emotional decisions you have to make business decisions and that's what they did they made a business decision with sheldon and unfortunately he's not back here again i think if you maybe would have kicked in a little bit more money so that he could walk away or, or come back with some pride intact you know i think it, that might have been worth a couple million because I think he gives you a lot on the football field. And I think he gives you a lot in the locker room. So I probably would have broken my little rule and overpaid just a tiny bit. I think it would have been worth it. I also just, I'm not convinced that we're going to be sitting there in November watching a game and thinking, man, they really miss Sheldon Richardson in this game. Now there might be off field stuff. Certainly, like you mentioned, he's such a, he was such a popular guy in that locker room and was such a leader in that locker room. That's a big piece of it. I mean, I honestly think Malik Jackson, if he's healthy, is going to give you, at worst, what Sheldon Richardson gave you. And maybe that, maybe that was part of the math in all of this. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I mean, if you can replace a guy for the amount of money that Malik Jackson is making, and I don't have it in front of me, but it is significantly less than what Sheldon was owed this year, uh, and you can get the same kind of or similar production, that's how you cut corners and then you're able to pay Baker Mayfield the whatever, the $40 million you're going to have to pay him by the time you get to that contract or the $18 million a year that you're going to have to pay Denzel Ward or the potential $12 million a year you're going to have to pay Nick Chubb. There's a lot of double-digit salaries coming up and they've, they've got to cut corners somewhere. All right, Jim and Boardman, he's got an offensive line question. Hey, Mary Kay, Joel Batonio and J.C. Treader have minimal cap numbers next year. With Wyatt Teller potentially do a big extension, could we be seeing one of those guys for the last time this year? He says he can't imagine the Browns can maintain four big contracts plus Jed Wills on the offensive line forever, and he hashtags this first world problems. So Joel Batonio and J.C. Treader, you know, Joel signed an extension. I can't remember. Was that 2017 he signed Mm -hmm. that extension? Yeah. And JC signed an extension right before John Dorsey got fired. Actually, he signed the extension in 2019. It's an interesting question. I think JC is probably the most in jeopardy. I, I mean, I think Joel Batonio is the best offensive lineman on this team. I, I don't even, maybe Jack Conklin, you can make that argument. It's, it's one of those two. So I, I don't think Joel's going anywhere. And of course he's kind of become a face of this team and, and all of that, but it's an interesting question as the Browns try and manage this cap. And at some point they're going to have to pay Jed Wills. Yeah. The thing about uh, the thing about JC is that he's so darn solid and he is so durable and you have to have a center. I mean, you have to have a good center. You don't realize how important it is until you don't have one. He's only 30 years old right now. He just turned 30 in February. So next year, J.C. Treader will be playing uh, his season at the age of 31. That's not that old for an offensive lineman. That's not old for a center. So I think if they can keep him, I think you I think you do it. And Joel's salary, you know, isn't even that huge anymore. I mean, at at this point, you know what I mean? I mean, Joel right now for next year, I think his salary or his average salary right now is like eight point five or something like that. And Wyatt Teller's market value is somewhere around 11. So Joel Batonio is a better guard than Wyatt Teller. And I think that's going to come into play in terms of Wyatt Teller's extension. You have to think about paying him a bunch more money than you're paying Joel Batonio. 
I think you'd have to like kick in so- something for Joel if you're gonna if you're gonna spend that kind of money on Wyatt Teller, because Joel, like you said, he's either your best offensive lineman or he's tied with Jack Conklin. So they they might have some decisions to make. Uh, when I, I wrote about extensions this morning uh, for the 21 questions, I said that you know Wyatt is is the probably the one out of the big name extensions that they have where. You know, if you had to let that one go and sort of see what the market's going to bear, that's one area where like you could take your time with that one a little bit and kind of see how it goes. Yeah. And I, I mean, we're getting way ahead of ourselves on this one, but you could always franchise Wyatt Teller too. Right. There's going to be some guys that you're going to have the option to franchise next year. Of course, you know, you can only choose one, but it could be a guy like Ronnie, could be Wyatt Teller. You don't have to rush into an extension with Wyatt Teller this off season. Now, now that franchise tag, it doesn't differentiate between interior and, and tackles. So it would be, it's high. It's 16 this year for dollars. offensive linemen. It was 14 and a half million. So that's a big number, but you could still do it if you needed to, if you really don't, if you couldn't get a, a reasonable extension done with teller, you could get, stick that franchise tag on him and at least keep him around or negotiate or, or something. But yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I mean, if they, if they give big money to teller, I'm sure Batonio would come knocking on the door and saying, Hey, you know, look what I can do. I can do a lot of things he can do and, and some of it better. Yeah. And next year, the projected offensive lineman franchise tag is over $16 million, which would make him be double of, of Joel Batonio's average. Yeah. Maybe you wouldn't franchise him then. <laughs> so, yeah, because like you said, they don't differentiate between tackles and guards. And I just don't see that the Browns are going to want to pay Wyatt Teller over $16 million next year. I think it'll come down to making him an offer this off season. He'll either accept it or they'll let him go to the market, see what he can get. He might be one of those guys where you think we can't pay everybody double digit millions on this football team. And you know, that the Titans had to let Jack Conklin go. So if they had to let Jack Conklin go, this could be one of those situations where we can't keep everybody at the price uh, that they've put themselves in right now. And, and why it could be one that if you can't agree to something, he, he might realize that he can make more on the open market. Okay. Let's get through a couple more of these questions here. So here's a question. We're going to get so many roster questions between now and camp. This is what people have sort of shifted to uh, Robert from Ponte Ponte Vedra, Florida. I hope I said that right. Mm-hmm. Hey, Mary Kay, there are always surprising roster decisions before the season. If you had to pick a starter or two that could be traded before week one of the regular season, who would it be? And I think that's an interesting question because Andrew Barry's a smart guy. I'm sure that if he's got an opportunity, if they might be thinking, eh, we may end up cutting this, this veteran here that nobody expects, he might make some phone calls and see if he can get a, get a trade or two done. Uh, before they have to make that decision. Well, I mean, there are a couple of, of areas where we look and sometimes wonder how are they going to get all these guys on the field? One of those areas is receiver. I mean, if they had to part ways with one of their receivers, uh, I think they could do that. And I'm not talking about Odell or Jarvis necessarily, but I mean, you could probably potentially let someone else go, you know, maybe not a big name guy. Maybe it's a minor trade of one of the receivers. So that's one area where you have a little bit of a surplus. And then the other one that would be a little intriguing or interesting would be tight 
Now they use a lot of them and they're excited about their tight end room. And, you know, there will be times where we see three tight ends out on the field, but most of the time it's going to be two. It's not going to be three all, all that often. You know, that's another area where if someone came calling, you might consider parting with one of those tight ends because they still have Steven Carlson too. And he's pretty good. So I, I think they could possibly live with, without one of those guys, but I, I don't, I don't know. I think they want to keep their receivers and tight ends. I think they want all of these weapons on the team if they can afford to keep them. Yeah. The only thing I could think of is maybe if they tried to trade one of their linebackers, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's Taki Taki or Mac Wilson or, or someone like that, if, if things, if JOK is ready to roll mm-hmm. week one, if maybe that prompts a linebacker trade, something like that, I yeah. can see that. I don't think there's going to be any significant trade. It would be something like, who was the receiver they traded for that Dorsey traded for a couple of years ago. I'm blanking on his name. Taewon Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. So, so something like that, where you give up, where you get like a fifth round pick back or, you know, a, a small trade like that. I don't think there would be anything big. Now there were some special teams questions about kickers and I'll just say this. We didn't get to see much of Jamie Gillen, uh, but he is the only punter on the roster right now. So I think he's okay. And they like where he is. I'll just sum all these up into, into one question. Hey, Mary Kay, are we going to get a kicking competition in training camp? Well, they, they did sign Chase, Chase McLaughlin. Okay. So they, they're, there is going to be competition, but I, I still think that for the most part, he was brought in to press Cody Parkey to help Cody Parkey get better. Uh, Cody's kind of bulked up a little bit, gotten a little stronger. People forget that he made all of his kicks in the postseason, So he got stronger as the season went along. I, I still think he's going to be the guy. I really do. Unless they, unless some really good veteran kicker, kicker becomes available. I don't see chase being the kicker for the Cleveland Browns this season. All right, let's do two more here. First one will come from Shannon in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and he's talking about the defense gelling together. He says, hey, Mary Kay, I understand for several reasons the offense will be farther ahead than the defense. He keeps hearing because of all new defensive additions made that maybe week seven is a reasonable time frame to gel, but he thinks that won't be the case with all the leaders and the veterans on the defensive side, side of the ball. He expects favorable results much sooner, maybe even in training camp. So, what is your timeline for being able to kind of look out there and say, okay, this defense has gelled together. I've been saying that I think that the early part of the season will be the learning curve for the defensive players because they still have to figure out who are the best key players for their sub packages and how do these guys all fit together and who do you want on the field in the big safety? I mean, in the big nickel, which is three safeties and who do you want in the dime? Who do you want in the nickel? I mean, who do you want in base? They, they have decisions to make. And I think that until the fur is flying, you don't necessarily know how that those, all those combinations are going to work out together. You know, who's going to be in your goal line package, you know, who's going to be in your short yardage pack. Who's, who's your third down package. It's going to take a while to figure that out. I would say that it will take about six games before they really get their mojo down in who are the best players for each of those roles. Having said that, I do think that these guys are smart enough and there is enough good leadership that they're going to look pretty good early on. They're not going to be perfect. Once they're going to hit their stride in November and December, when you really need them to, they added really good, strong leadership at every level of the defense. They added Malik Jackson. He's got tremendous leadership skills for the defensive line. They added Anthony Walker. 
He's an amazing leader, not only for the linebacking core, but for the whole entire defense. Uh, and then you go to the back end and they added John Johnson, who is just lights out in terms of leadership. So you're not adding guys that are, you know, quiet and meek and wallflowers and not sure themselves. I mean, you've got some really vocal guys. You've got some green dot guys in that group. And so I think for that reason, you've got experience in that group. So I think that they will come together very quickly, but once again, they will really be hitting their stride in November and December. And I think that's, that's something important to remember here in in the modern NFL, we see it more and more, you know, it's not the NBA obviously because there's so few games, but with a 17 game schedule, three preseason games, a lot of times that first month of the season or those first six weeks really are kind of a feeling out. And we see teams all the time who get off to, three and three starts, you know, really hit the ground running at the end of the year. And one of the reasons the Browns won so many games last year is because they got off to such a good start and then they got hot again at the end of the year. But that's what you're trying to do is really kind of peak towards the end, like you were saying. Okay, the last question here, and this has to do with some of the rookie contracts. The Browns almost have everyone signed, but we're still waiting on a couple. So Rory from Wisconsin Dells, Hey, Mary Kay, with the way the CBA is structured, essentially specifying the earnings of each draft pick, what else is there left to negotiate for these guys? You know what? There, there really isn't much to negotiate. It's really just a matter of when it gets done and how it gets done. Now, Greg Newsom, his was held up a little bit by the fact that he completely started over with a new agency. He fired CAA and hired Drew Rosenhaus. So it takes a little while to kind of work through the red tape and the paperwork and figure out how you want to do that. I think that those deals will be done before too long. Not really sure what the holdup is right now, but it's nothing to be concerned about. Rookie salaries are slotted and they will be, they'll be done probably within the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I mean, isn't usually just stuff like offset language and I guess maybe some guarantees, maybe things like that. Yeah. I mean, there's just not much to, to, you know, I could probably negotiate these two contracts and if they need help, I'm on vacation this week. I could go ahead and do that if they need to get it done. Do you get a little commission for that? Yeah. I hope so. (laughs) I, I want to throw one more at you. I just saw this one as I was scrolling through and I think it's interesting. This is from Tyson with Anthony Walker changing his number to four, as we've talked about, do you think that's going to cause problems, problems for quarterbacks? Some of these players at linebacker, maybe even at safety, some of these players who are in versatile positions wearing different numbers. It might, but these quarterbacks are so smart and they study so much film and they prepare so well that I think by the time they get to the game, they're going to know exactly, you know, who number four is and where he's going to be and, and who number 28 is, even though that looks like a defensive back kind of a number. Uh, they're going to know that that's JOK and they have to watch for him over the middle. I really don't think it's going to be a problem with these guys because of the way they study so much darn film. There we have it. Our Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. And as you guys heard, Mary Kay is off this week and yet here she is still recording 40 minutes worth of Q and a with our football insider subscriber. So make sure you are a football insider subscriber, head to cleveland.com slash Browns. It's the blue banner at the top of the page to get information and get signed up. Okay. Mary Kay, you are free to go. See you next week, Dan. <laughs>